Russia stepping up missile attacks on Ukraine as Ukraine pushes forward in their counteroffensive. The latest on the war between Russia and Ukraine. We'll break it down now. Joining us once again, Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Thanks for joining us once again, Andrew. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, too. Uh, let's talk about uh, the latest and the state of the Ukrainian counteroffensive. What exactly is Ukraine and the, the military doing there to push back against Russia at this point? Okay, so these are early days of the offensive. Both the Ukrainians in their offensive and the Russians and their defensive are, heavy, are very prepared and are fighting heavy battles. Uh, the Ukrainians are moving uh, to the East, they have penetrated in a few areas of the front, most notably in the Bakhmut area. These are tactical advances. The Russians have lines of defense. Their main line of defense is about 20 kilometers further east of where the fighting is. So the Russians are conducting what one assume is a limited plan-type withdrawal to wear down the attacking Ukrainian forces as they move toward the main Russian line. The, 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 the difficulty here for the Ukrainians is how to penetrate the Russian lines without having enough, without the Russians causing attrition on the attacking forces, so when they reach the main line of Russian defense, they're too weak to push through. This is, this is what you call a fixed, like a heavy battle, fixed Russian defense against a fixed uh, Ukrainian offense. I want to ask you this, Andrew, something that uh, we've touched on briefly but we do know about the support that the Ukrainian people are having globally when it comes to supplies, resources, etc. When it comes to the Russians, we've heard a lot about those Iranian drones uh, that have been, you know, sent to help Russia in their battle. Any other countries providing, uh, you know, military support for Russia? Well, we know that uh, North Korea is providing uh, uh, support. Um, the Chinese are supplying economic support. Uh, not direct military support, but some of that can be, you know, dual-purposed. So, so that's, that's also in there. Um, there's also trade going on with India, but in terms of, like, like there's a lot of dual, stuff of what you call dual-purposing stuff. So it's civilian trade, but there can be adaptations done. And so the Russians have been very good at doing uh, sanctions evasion and, and sanctions avoidance. So although there are these things, the Russian, the bottom line is the Russian war machine is able to function, they have ammunition, they have equipment, and they're able to conduct their operations. Andrew, last week there was a breach of a, an important dam in Ukraine, and that has people even more worried now about the nuclear power plant that's we've been talking about for months here now, well, over a year. Do we have any idea of the extent of damage and how it might be affecting the nuclear power plant? The nuclear power plant uh, currently it remains safe. Uh, the uh, Atomic Energy Commission uh, head is visiting that plant, in fact, today uh, to conduct checks on where things are. So as we speak, there is no immediate danger to the plant and its safety. It is operating off a, a water reserve, and it's in a cooling phase. The plant has not been operating for some time now, but it is... Uh, vital to keep the reactors in a cooling position. So that water is, is key for that. But it is under control. The rest of the waterway has basically dissipated. So the flooding is now receding. And we're going to see what happens in the, in the, in the upcoming weeks, perhaps, whether the 
the, the, the banks of the river will be dry enough for the Ukrainians to try some military operations down there. The flooding has, has basically uh, negated any Ukrainian attempt for an amphibious assault in the very south. So Ukrainian forces are now just operating north of that area that's heavily flooded and trying to, trying to penetrate the Russian line. Andrew, uh, we know that NATO leaders are slated to meet next month. What role will NATO play as we, we move further uh, down the line when it comes to this conflict? Are we expecting something different or just kind of staying the course when it comes to NATO? Um, it's, it's more or less staying the course um, in the sense that the NATO defense ministers are meeting and they're preparing the NATO heads of government meeting in Vilnius 11-12 July. Now, one of the, from a political point of view, uh, one of the key uh, decisions that have more or less been reached now uh, is that uh, Ukraine will not be invited to join NATO until the war is over. There has been heavy debate on this point, um, and there is lack of consensus. The Poles and the Baltic states wanted to bring Ukraine into NATO now or sooner, like sooner the better. But uh, other countries, United States, Germany, uh, and France, have said, no, we don't want to take a risk of a third world war engaging Russian forces while the war is going on. Now, having said all that, there is, there is very heavy discussion continuing, and will continue until the Vilnius summit, on security guarantees. So whereas NATO would not bring Russia, uh, Ukraine in, other NATO countries like the United States, Britain, France, Germany, could uh, offer uh, bilateral types of guarantees or security enhancements. These things are currently being worked on. So that's the political commitment side. On the military side, uh, there will be continued support in terms of equipment um, and, and, uh, and, um, and, and finances. Now, the Ukrainians have already lost uh, numbers of uh, Bradley fighting vehicles, a few Leopards. So the question will become how many of these vehicles can be replaced by the West as the Ukrainians continue the fight. Because the one thing is almost certain is that th this offensive operation will take months, weeks if not months, because both sides are very well prepared for it. You know, on the flip side then, how is Russia still able to sustain their effort? We, we've been hearing for some time as well that, you know, young Russian men were fleeing the country. There's, you know, they were conscripting people into the war effort. Do they have the manpower to keep going? Yes. Um, so we heard stories, yes. So those people have gone. But the, these, uh, these, uh, these type of individuals I would call outliers. They are, when we see political demonstrations in Russia, whether there are people voting with their feet, if you will, by leaving the country or demonstrating or even sending those, those drones perhaps over the Kremlin, these are, in, in terms of the Russian political construct, they are outliers. They are not having a dominant effect. The majority of Russians uh, who are required to serve in the military are serving in the military, and the Russian units are manned according to where they're supposed to be manned. Now, the other bottom line to all this, the Russians have not uh, maximized their potential. Their uh, last call-up was for, uh, they have about roughly 300,000 under arms now. They could potentially go to 800,000. So they're still trying to fight this war as if it's not a major war. Yeah? whereas Ukraine is on the other side fighting this as a major war with everything they've got in it, and they've fully mobilized. So we'll see where it goes. But right now, the Russians are able to sustain the war effort, and they have the troops that they are decided they want to have, and they have the potential to get more. Andrew, thank you so much for the update. We appreciate your time. You're very welcome. Andrew Wasoulis, a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European Affairs.